Hey all welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunski. On this show, we want to teach you how to take a data-driven approach to your health. So we look at all of the latest technology, all of the researchers, speak to as many of the health experts as we can. First of all, to help you learn how to capture and quantify data on your health. Second, to learn how to interpret that data so you can use it for better health decision making. That's what we focus on on this show. That's also why we've created the Heads Up Health app, which will allow you to link up all of your health information into one place and use our tools to start to use that information for better health decision making. So if you haven't checked out our app yet, head over to headsuphealth.com. And now let's get into the next episode. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. Hey all, Dave Korsunski here, and we are back for another edition of Data Driven Health Radio. And today I have a fellow data nerd on my hands, so I know this is going to be a good conversation. Fellow Canadian from Toronto, I'm from Winnipeg. You've upgraded, Dr. Joel. You're down in Florida now, but I've got Dr. Joel Rosen here with me, and he is an incredibly talented functional medicine and health expert. Joel, we got connected through Chuck at Aura, and we've just been on like a total nerd safari from like the moment we met a month ago. I got a chance to hang out with you in Boca uh, a few weeks ago, and we just really hit it off. And I know we're throwing around a lot of ideas together, and I know you got a ton of expertise in the functional realm that our listeners are going to want to understand. I know you also take a very data-driven approach with all of your clients and you understand how to use the latest cutting-edge technology with patients and also bring in the functional aspect to it. So really understanding how to tie things together, genetics, technology, lab testing. So we're kindred spirits, my man. So thank you for joining the show and uh, give us an introduction. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, and I feel the same way. Um, I uh, I left uh, cold Toronto to go to school in California, and uh, and I graduated in chiropractic medicine and moved to Florida. And uh, along the way, um, had twins, and I had over two hundred thousand dollars worth of student debt at at one point. Um, I hurt my back, and I was down and out when I graduated with you know, my, you know, chiropractic, uh, doctor. And, uh, as I was, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was exhausted. I was burnt sure. out. I couldn't focus. And, uh, but I guess what happened was I found out that, um, an acupuncturist came to my office and he brought a book called, uh, what, um, what do you do when your thyroid or something about your thyroid test? It was a thyroid uh, book. And I was like, I don't have a thyroid problem. So I, I left the book on my, on my table. About six months to a year later, I opened it up, and there was this condition I never heard about called adrenal fatigue. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, if, if they could put a picture of me in there, that was me to a T. And I never heard of it, Dave. I, I had, you know, an exercise physiology degree. I had a psychology degree. 
I, I ha, you know, had a doctorate in, in chiropractic, which gets into nutrition and biochemistry and immunology. And I never heard of this. I was like, I, why have I never heard of this? And so after that, it just set my lifelong mission. Uh, and I've come a, a, a deep, a deep rabbit hole for, you know, almost an OCD constructively, you know, data nerd that I can go as far as I possibly can. And right there with you, brother. Yeah. So that's where that's been my journey. And, uh, and then that's kind of how I came about getting you on the radar. Yeah, cool. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Dr. Joel, because again, we've got a lot in common. As I mentioned just just a moment ago, just both being Canadian and, and both in this quantified health space. And when I was working with my functional doctor back in Silicon Valley, every test he ran on me was coming back squeaky clean. And finally, he's like, you know, there's still something that's not quite right. He said, let's look at your saliva cortisol rhythm. And I'm sure you can explain that test for people in a moment and what that means. But basically, it just means is, is your, to me, it means is your body's energy production cycles, you know, on a normal, healthy rhythm where you wake up in the morning, the engine starts up, you know, it hums along for most of the day, and then it starts to gear down towards the end of the night. And mine was completely inverted. <laughs> and so that actually made a lot of sense to me when I really started to look at my lifestyle, I'm like, okay, I I totally get why my body is screwed up. You know, I was working too late in the night. I was going out too late on the weekends. I was overtraining physically. So I wasn't sick, but I was putting all this extra pressure. And that was the first clue that something was, I guess, perhaps out of balance in the system. And so that really got me interested in this concept of adrenal fatigue as well. So I think we can talk a lot about that, but for a lot of people out there, this is a nebulous topic because some people don't really say that it's a condition, especially conventional medicine. Maybe it's actually a consequence of something much larger that needs to be addressed, but it definitely tells you that you have a dysregulated stress syndrome uh, system. So maybe we could take a step back here and you can explain the HPA axis for people, hypothalamus pituitary adrenal, what the heck does that mean? How is it a feedback system to control everything from hormones to energy levels to cortisol? And also tell us about how you would test someone to to determine if there's an issue there. Because there may be a lot of people listening who are in the exact same position as you or I, and this could be the first clue that perhaps sets them down a path towards recovery. Sure, sure. And it's a great question. There's a couple points in there. And so the first point is, it is not accepted as a legitimate diagnosis. It isn't. And that's why I never heard of it when I had that problem. And so that kind of pissed me off. Like, why have I not heard of this? Like, this is, so that really, like I said, started a rabbit hole on figuring out why. And in the medical research, the way it's all definitions on um, on how they define things, but bottom line is they do a uh, an ACTH test, which basically is to test to see if the adrenals will produce any cortisol when the pituitary hormone is released that you know stimulates it, that causes it to make the cortisol. And so if they're doing it a does, test to make sure that the system is going to do what it's supposed to do. 
not, it's going to have a minimal response. It's going to at least produce a certain amount of cortisol. Um, it's, it's listening to its marching orders. And so in the medical model, if the, that test is negative, that's adrenal insufficiency. And that's also known as Addison's disease. And it's an autoimmune disease. It's, it's not very common. But the problem is even in the medical research, Dave, they show that there's been a lot of faulty testing to quantify what the healthy ranges and unhealthy ranges were to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but not only that, it's, it's a black or white, all or none, you're either really low and you're, you're pregnant or you're not and you're not pregnant. And there's no shades of gray in that, so to speak. It's like gluten sensitivity, right? It's like you could have celiac to the extreme or you, you just may be very like me. I'm just very intolerant and I've got the tests to prove it. So again, there's, it's not a black or white question, but what you were saying is there's a very black or white definition for it in the medical literature. Absolutely. And I think you could say that with a lot of different conditions and not just hundred percent. Yeah. Just you know, adrenals. Um, and, and so anyways, um, as far as I wear that as a badge of honor now on my back, because I feel like I just want to be the rebellious person that Hans Selye was when he first brought up the term in medical research and his colleagues thought he was crazy because how could you say there's this general adaptation response to you know any kind of illness when we have all these specialties and all these specific conditions and you're coming up with this crazy thought and he was proved right after all. And so I just wanted to say I, I want to carry that torch and continue bringing and shedding light on the broken stress response system, which is what you said. It's a broken stress response system. And, and in, in what you mentioned was actually the average person wouldn't think that. They would think my adrenals are broken based and I'll do an adrenal stress. And that's where the controversy comes in. But you said energy production, something at an energy production, which was way ahead of its thought process because at the mitochondrial level, the broken stress response system impacts the energy production on a supply and demand as simple as that. When you have more stress on the body um, than your body is capable of adapting to, then you have a negative deficit of supply and demand. That's the easiest way to think of it. And then your yeah. body goes into a certain... Um, so what we call a defense mechanism or a cell danger, and it prioritizes what it's going to do to keep the lights on, so to speak. Hey, I yeah. don't need to invest over here. You're not getting pregnant. You yeah. don't need to have you know, a, pre a period, you know, this, that, and the other. And other things start to, start to you know, have a, um, a go down as a domino effect if that's lower in the pecking order, and, and higher functionings will continue. And so... That's um, so to answer your question, the HPA axis is the, the brain's perception of the stress, which is actually called an AHPA axis, which Got means it. first, first, it's the amygdala's. Do I want to think of this as a stressful situation? Has it been conditioned as a stressful situation? So it creates that same response that yeah. causes the whole response. But then the hypothalamus tells the pituitary, tells the adrenals um, to work. And then there's a feedback loop where the adrenals then go back up to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus says, okay, you don't have to work anymore. You don't have to release. So then you'll start to see that shut down. And that should work nicely come on, turn off, come on, turn off, come on, turn off. Over yeah. time, repeatedly over and over and over again, 
that whole cycle breaks down. And that is what people are saying is an HPA axis dysfunction, which I'll keep to the adrenal fatigue definition because if I'm going to be limited in describing this, then HPA axis dysfunction is limited also because of so many other reasons too. Well, that, that is completely aligned with my own experience. I think my doctor, he gave me a helpful analogy. He's like, imagine you have a thermostat in your house and you set it to 70 and the air is blowing and, and, and there's sensors in the house that are detecting what the air temperature is and it's all a, f a feedback loop. And if it's too hot, the thermostat should turn it down. And if it's too cold, the thermostat will turn it up. And basically when your stress, stress management system the, this this feedback system breaks down somewhere in the chain you have these issues and I've shared on this publicly before but my stress I my stress levels got so bad that um, my blood pressure was out of whack and I was like I was 32 years old man I'm healthy I'm fit and it's like my blood pressures are off the charts and if I was training too heavy I, I couldn't fall asleep you know, my, my cortisol would just stay jacked two, three in the morning. And then it got so bad that my body, like you said, was, was in a fight or flight response. And every time I would drift off to sleep, I would, my body would jolt itself awake because it was, it was in a constant state of perceived threat. So it, my, my body would not even allow it to, to go to, to go to sleep because it was in a threat state. So Every time you're like, please, for the love of God, just let me fall asleep. And, and then the instant you drift off into a, a, a state of light sleep, you jolt awake out of a threat response. And it was complete maladaptive stress. And uh, ultimately, it's completely reversible in my case, thank God. But there were a lot of things that were missed. I had to get some GI testing done on the microbiome. And I had some bad, bad, bad bugs in my stomach that we're putting far more stress on my physical body. So in my case, there was a microbiome component to it as well. Some um, really bad ba bacteria that needs to be knocked out. And then it was a lot of lifestyle change where I needed to learn meditation. I needed to change my diet. I had not learned anything about nutrition at all. So maybe I think blood sugar regulation is a huge part of this issue. Maybe you can also tell us about like how stable blood sugar just can help out and when your blood sugar is out of whack it probably just is like throwing kerosene on the fire if you're stressed out yeah i mean there's there, it goes so deep is what it does which is <laughs> you know i mean it does that's why really that's goes, why we love this stuff and we're here nerding out right now yeah it goes so i've been able to put some of these connections together though and that's where i can explain it and from my user experience yeah. and doctor experience too and what you've gathered um, I would say the one of the, the initial triad that ha even Hans Salye back in the 60s uh, discovered was number one, the adrenals get bigger, they hypertrophy first. Number two, the thymus gland gets smaller, that's your immune system. And then number three, you have um, erosive uh, ulcers, like uh, erosive linings. So when you say in my case, I had a GI component. I would say in all broken stress response system cases, you have a GI component. And I would also say in all you know, response systems, you have an immune component. and all things, you have an adrenal component. But Hans Selye didn't you know, you know, stop the clock and say there's nothing else that we could learn upon, but it actually goes up to the cellular level, 
right? And at the cellular level, there's all those cellular changes. So that's where my mission too, in terms of with what you provide to be able to data track, plus the knowledge of, listen, folks, it impacts your entire body and really you're at war every day, day in, day out. And unless you learn how to, how to control it, it's either going to help you or hurt you and you depends your choice, right? So, you know, does that make sense? It does. You know, for me, looking back, actually, a lot of it was, there was a spiritual component that had to happen as well. And for me to really start to work on these, these stress issues, I had to, I had to learn meditation. That was the first step that started to help me build a self-awareness. And I just started to also develop just uh, more spiritual practices where I would just give myself a chance to connect in different ways and, and just a mind body awareness that has to happen because if you want to do it in a way that's non-pharmaceutical, which I did, that's the way I wanted to do it. Mind body awareness. If you don't understand your own mind and how it affects the body and there's also a physical component to it, what you're putting into your body. So, I mean, it's not, it's not a quick fix is what I'm trying to say here. It takes a lot of work to change the way you think, change the way you, you approach your life, the, the way you look at rest and recovery, your, your, your approach to self-care. Um, maybe it means changing careers. In my case, it did. And so there's no silver bullet when you have to work on this stuff. It's very multifactorial to get to the root and, and to treat it. Maybe in some cases there's a specific stressor that you can treat. But I would say in many cases, like, like in your case, going hard at school, mountain, massive, mountain of debt, all these other things. And, and for me, I didn't have any self-awareness. I was just a knucklehead from Winnipeg, Canada that liked to go out and have some beers and drink some whiskey. And I'd never had to pay attention to my health. I was completely ignorant to my health. So I was like starting from zero on this self-awareness journey. So like when you're working with patients who are dealing with, I guess, dysregulated stress syndromes, do you have to do a lot of that uh, softer coaching as well to help them start to develop that awareness? It's always there. Um, there's lots of insights you had with that. And uh, the first one is the, you know, that what we call that AHPA axis where it comes down to perception. So for all the data hackers or trackers and, and people that want to quantify self, you can't put a number on perception. It's, it's really you can't. Um, and that has to be aware. Like you got to set the program with perception intentions of I'm in control of it at the higher level, at the highest level. The, the, I'm in control of that most important voice kind of thing. And uh, you can, you, once you have that, which is part of the coaching, right? Which is you're answering your question, which is part of the softer side of things. Um, but I would also say, I, I, you know, w when I screwed around my first undergraduate degree, I went to McMaster and I played for the soccer team. I had a really crappy GPA my first two years. So I went back to school and got a psychology degree and I loved it. I loved it. It's just like, I just love human psychology. Yeah. Um, and I thought though it was a waste of time because when I applied to get into the chiropractic college in Canada, again, I didn't get in because they didn't consider my GPA to be upgraded because I went part-time when I got my second degree, you know? And so anyways, um, I thought, what a waste of time. I wasted time. I wasted money and only to realize how much it's so important as I help people. It was a blessing. That was a blessing. So to answer your question, it's a huge part of it. 
And there's a, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's necessary has to be spiritual, but it has to be something that connects you to a higher power or a higher energy or a higher frequency. And that is going to be able to dictate your stress response. And it's the whole movement of 20 years of Zen and being able to, you know, have certain amount of forgiveness and a certain amount of gratitude and a certain amount of um, just, you know, using that front part of your brain, you know, where that's the connection too, Dave, is that when you have cortisol that's been bombarding your brain for so long, it messes up that front part, the frontal lobe. That's your focus, your concentration, your sequential planning, your important decision-making processes, moral behaviors, you know, quick impulsive stuff. So if you don't, if you don't have that trained because it's, it's atrophied or at least been impacted by all that cortisol, um, the act of, of getting connected and making those, you know, gratitudes and visions and, and, and planning is actually twofold. You're actually strengthening that muscle. Totally, yeah. And then you're also doing the other thing in terms of, you know, bringing a new frequency. So, uh, I mean, I want to get into some, some heavier stuff on technology, but you're bringing up some really important points, like some simple things that people can do when they're in the red alert stress zone, a gratitude list. So that's just a simple thing you can do at the end of the night. Just, you know, guys and girls out there who, who just haven't started to build that, that awareness. But what are some of the simple things that you ask people to do just to start connecting with themselves and connecting with, with, with loving themselves and the people around them? There's probably like, like a gratitude list is one example, but like what are some of the simple things that people can do? You know, it, the one of the big ones is really at the end of the day, if it's a broken stress response system, it's a broken circadian rhythm system. And so they need to become creatures of the earth again, which means it's the sun, it's light out, you open the windows, you don't hold yourself like a bear in a, in a cave and, and you know, get shut the off sunlight all the- on the flesh. Yeah, get it out, get that lux in you, you know, mm-hmm. and then um, on the other side is when it's dark, you know, wind down, get the blue. I'm really a big proponent of the blue blocker glasses. Um, you know, the programs that will reduce all that. There's some controversy on that, but bottom line is limit your light exposure, right? Yeah. Well, uh, one big one for me is, is just learning how to start preparing my nervous system for bed. So I can draw two scenarios for you. The old Dave, which would basically come home and, you know, watch TV, you know, maybe go to the gym at 8 p.m., come home, get into bed, go to sleep. And I probably fell asleep. I had a good night's sleep. And now it's like, okay, it's 7 or 8 p.m. I want to start dimming the lights in the house. I, I like to switch to candles, uh, you know, maybe half an hour, an hour before bed. I have like one of those, uh, my mom got me a diffuser. So just putting like a diffuser, those terpenoids, and we've done a show here on what, what terpenoids are in the context of CBD cannabis, but the, the aromas from things like uh, lime and lavender, those, those terpenes are powerful chemicals. So putting something on that, that brings that, that soothing uh, uh, aroma into the house, dim the lights, do some meditation, you, you start preparing for bed an hour before you actually get into bed. And I mean, you and I both have the aura ring and that's part of the reason I started doing this. I, that's a term called, I, I call it sleep hygiene. So I think what you're saying is disrupted circadian rhythm is a huge part of this. And 
learning how to become a creature of the earth again, getting lots of natural sunlight is going to help you be tired, get ready to get back on a normal clock, getting some really, really good exercise so that your body is physically tired. Like some people say, well, dude, I can't fall asleep at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. I'm, I'm up till one. They have to reprogram their, their sleep rhythm. So that's a part of it. So how, how could people attack that? The, the sleep rhythm problem. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways to do it, but they they get into a routine. Um, that's where you know having that 12 hour window is is a baseline for me. I had a guy come in the other day, and his metabolic health was looking worse than it's been in a while. His insulin levels were high. His antibody thyroid levels were high. His, his C-reactive protein was high, and he does, he everyone around him tells him he looks healthy. You know, he he looked good. You know, he works at a men's store. He's pretty you know in vogue and stuff like that. Um, but he's not healthy on the inside. And it comes down to the moment that you have your first meal besides, um, besides water. And if it's for those that love bulletproof coffee or whatever, that clock starts that time, that second that it go that it starts. And if I've, you're an early riser, it's five. For me, it was five. And uh, so that means five at night is my, you know, I got like one of those movies where your countdown, your, your numbers, you know, lasered here that's counting down. And it's 12 hours, 11, 59, 58, 57. That's how much longer you have to have your last meal. That will be the first thing. Then there's also the, you know, what time you have your last meal close to bed. And that's where data tracking comes in. But ha- going like using smartwatch information, mine is like, mine's 9.30 to 10.30, right? And it's, it's solid. If I, if I, when I get to bed by 9.30 um, and I, I've, you know, chilled out and, and, and reduced, you know, my exposures to electronics and so forth. Plus, I'm having that time blocked window of 12 or 10 or eight, um, plus some other interesting stuff you can do. But I'd say for the most part, the getting circadian rhythm, getting the light during the day, getting the dark at night, keeping to a 12 hour window. Those are pretty solid anyone can do. And um, that's what I, I would typically start with. And uh, and, uh, and then be able to, you know, use the information that you take when you track and when you use your technology to be able to make fine tweaks that are going to be specific to you, not to someone you mm-hmm. read about and someone did better than you because they did this and I heard that. That's the whole point of using this information is to figure out what worked for you and is may not be whatever, what works for everyone, right? So there's a lot of stuff we're covering here, but in general, we're talking about this overarching concept of dysregulated stress syndromes. It shows up in in dysregulated energy production. It will show up in your uh, saliva cortisol rhythm, which which we can we can address as adrenal fatigue, which is something I think a lot of people know about. There's there's definitely a um, there's definitely a nutritional component. So changing when you finish eating. Try finishing eating earlier. You said a 12-hour window. So if I have breakfast at 6, my last meal should be finished by 6. So so pulling back the meal timing. You also mentioned uh, healthy high sleep hygiene and getting your body on a natural uh, sleep cycle. And to do that, you've, you've got to be outdoors, exposed to sun in the early morning, start winding the nervous system down at night. So there's a circadian component to this. In my case, there was also a microbiome component to this. So 
which tests do you look at if you think someone has some really bad GI dysregulation or some fungal overgrowths or stuff in the tum-tum that is basically just making the whole stress system? Maybe you've got emotional stress, but then you've got a screwed up GI system that's like 2Xing or 3Xing the emotional stress, and you don't even know that. So can you talk about the GI component a little bit? Sure, sure. So, I mean, where the adrenals come in with that secretory IgA, you'll see that a lot on the saliva test. I don't just run the saliva test. I like the urine test that yeah, measures the it throughout the, right? the Dutch test. Yeah. yeah. But the Dutch has a cortisol awakening response, so you can do the saliva with it. Cool. Um, but typically, secretory IgA is going to be super, super high or super, super low. That gives you some good insights. Um, the GI map with the DNA samples of the stool. Um, that's great. I'm just starting to get into some of the biome stuff. I haven't used it a whole lot, but I think it has great applications and looking at DNA. And I think we're at the tip of the iceberg of what we can learn with the GI health of where we're at right now. DNA uh, is really important. Different enzymes like the foot two gene is very important um, to look at your prebiotic and probiotic health. So there's that. Even blood work, Dave. I mean, you know, if I see someone that has um, low cholesterol where doctors are like high five and great your cholesterol is low it's like no wait a second like you know research-based studies show that there's more problems with lower low cholesterol right so hold your horses yep. so that will tell us that there's an absorption issue as well um, obviously if you have low um, chloride or you have low protein or low globulins or albumin or low BUN or low enzymes there's going to be a protein absorption problem, which you can see, which usually secondary to microbes as well. Um, so that's where the, you know, really understanding the entire functional component. But stool tests at this point, as far as I know, from Biome and from uh, the GI map that does the DNA. And I think more companies are coming down the pike to see DNA samples because the analogy is like a crime scene, right? Like, how are you going to convict someone, you know, in the 60s when you don't have DNA samples? It's like, oh, you know, we're, we're not quite sure. But, you know, when your DNA samples came, they're 99.9% .9 sure that that person yeah. had to be there. That's the analogy I use um, with, you know, like an old, I don't want to mention any name, labs, but labs that don't use that technology. I've seen patient over patient over patient over patient that were negative, 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 they get a DNA and oh my God, they're not negative anymore. That was exactly yeah. what happened to me, man. I just ran yeah. the GI map and it's like, okay, a couple things that were missed on the other tests that need to be addressed. Yeah, there's so, some other good, yeah, there's some other other labs out there too that you can test. So, so get, get your microbiome analyzed, use a good quality GI map DNA test. If you're listening, and this is something that's of interest. You can contact Dr. Rosen. He can hook you up with this kind of stuff. So there's a GI component. Obviously, like you, you touched on a few conventional labs. So make sure you've got your conventional blood work out there. And uh, start learning how to test your blood sugar. You know, the simplest thing you can do is test your blood sugar before, you're, before you eat and then test it an hour and a two hours later. You know, keep it below 120, 110 at the two-hour mark. If you don't know what that means, well, you better get a meter pretty quickly and figure it out because it could save your life over the next decade. So just learning how to control your blood sugar, simple thing that I think will have some big effects on dysregulated stress, um, tracking your sleep. Uh, 
I remember the first time I used the Zio device. It was the, one of the original sleep trackers. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a stud. You know, I get tons of sleep. And I put it on and it's like, oh, shit, I'm getting like six hours a night. I just didn't have the awareness there. And it's like, okay, man, some simple data. Just a few numbers changed my behavior. I'm like, wow, yeah. my, my weekly average is way, way lower than I thought. So yeah. getting, getting some sleep tracking. And one other thing, just in this context of since we're talking about stress, this is a metric that can get really, really technically complex, but it's heart rate variability. And we actually have a way now as consumers to get some very, very accurate heart rate variability measurements. And those are really uh, a, an excellent way to understand the stress load on the system. Is that correct? Yeah, it goes back a while in the research, but it just measures your sympathetic response system. The lower the heart rate variability, the the more sympathetic you are. And people kind of get that confused. Yeah, um, you they think would, higher is better when you're getting these scores. Um, right. Actually, well, higher is higher better. is better with yeah, HRV. Is lower better. is yeah. But but the confusion though is with um with like sympathetic responses, you'd have a high you'd have a fast heart rate, right? So you would think that your heart rate variability would be higher, but That's it's right. actually lower because um, the beats between beats, when you're stressed out, it's beep, 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 it's very quickly. It's There's linear. not a lot of variation between each beat because it's yep. under yep. adrenaline. When yep. you're more adaptable and in rest and digest and able to adapt from one to the next, you have a higher variability between the beats. It's not so tightly controlled. Sometimes it beats a little slower. Sometimes it beats a little faster. It has the ability to be on its toes. So yeah. the higher the heart rate variability, the better your uh, parasympathetic, um, not so sympathetic driven stuff. And when you can look at that in relationship to other stuff like glucose or ketones or your, your amount of sleep, um, then you could start to make some useful information. And I told you about one piece of information that I got um, that only would have been borne out by, um, by tracking through like a Heads Up Help app. app. Um, I'd love to tell you about if you wanted me to mention it on, the, you know, on, on what we were talking about earlier. Cool. Go for it, man. I just want to say one thing before we leave this topic on heart rate variability. Right. And that's on meditation. And right. I know a lot of people who say that, well, I can't meditate. My brain doesn't shut off. And that's kind of a, a, a misnomer. That's not the point. Your brain never shuts off. It's, 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 it's just fucking thought machine that's on steroids. But when you sit in the meditative position after about five or seven minutes, right? Even if your brain is all over the place, like a, like a six week old puppy, after about five or seven minutes, you're like, Oh, my, my body is slowing down. I'm breathing much slower. My respiratory rate comes down. So like it kicks in and you start to feel it. And, and that's the first step towards, like you said, generating into that rest and digest. We can, we can consciously take our body there through some guided breathing. And you put me onto a new device called the brain tap, which like, okay, if you just can't sit there with your eyes closed, it's just too nebulous for you. You're like, I don't know. Am I doing this right? This is boring. I'm out of here. So now there's like some cool, some cool tech on the market you can put on that does these much more structured ways, gives you some actual feedback. Okay, Joel, you're getting into the, into the green zone here. So 
Is that something that you use regularly with, with uh, patients? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it goes so deep, right? I mean, you know, so you want to quantify self, right? So um, you can look at before and afters with that too and see different changes of frequencies and wavelengths that are indicative of slower activities or less sympathetically driven activities. So yeah, it goes as deep as you want. Here's the only caveat to all of this is if you focus too much on the data tracking, then you may impact the tracking to be more hard. Yeah. You know? yeah. So you got you to- Don't, don't freak out. Don't freak out yeah. with the numbers and yeah, uh, yeah. No, get some no insight. Interpret the data. Yeah. So right. yeah, you were going to share an anecdote uh, about some of yes. your own personal yeah. experience. So so yeah. So so as far as the the feedback with using a, a a site like your your site Heads Up Health, where you bring in the integrate the whatever you really want, but you in this case we're looking at. Um, heart rate variability, um, we're looking at glucose, ketones, um, and, and a marker that the Aura Ring has is something called readiness, mm -hmm. which combines your sleep, your activity, your, um, your, uh, just your, 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 your stress response, your heart rate variability. It, it, it creates a formula, and it's very accurate you know, it, a lot of the time. It's not accurate 100% of the time. Yeah, it's pretty um, accurate for me, man. I can live and die on that number. Yeah, so the, if you can answer that question, then you're a sophisticated user. You know, for me, there's been times where I've been a little bit like, nah, but mo probably over 80%, 90% of the time it is. But here's the part where, um, where you need some insights, like I was telling you about. I have a patient who we're working with, and um, she was sick um, at a date where her readiness was the lowest. And, and we looked at it and, and we, I, we said, what was going on here? Oh, I had a reactivation of a, 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 an infection and I had a lot of mucus and I was just inflamed, right? And that's going to drive cortisol and that's going to drive glucose and mess up your glucose levels and ketone levels. So anyways, her readiness was really low, which wasn't surprising. But what was the surprising part is Every time she read the readiness scale when it was high, she was like, no way. Like, I, I'm supposed to take on the world, and I feel like I don't feel good. And so I, I told her, listen, here's where this data is really super cool. <laughs> when you look at it at the baseline of it being low, we can both accept that as being baseline low. You were sick. It's the lowest. Yeah, it's exactly. Low. Physically right. ill. Right. Physically ill. So let's accept that as an accurate baseline and relative to your own numbers, not to other people, to your own numbers, here's the numbers where it was high. And that's where you said you were feeling worse or the worst. And I want you to change the, 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 um, what, the, what your perception is going on right there. Like we talked about the AHPA axis, the ability to get into the thought to control like what's going on and calibrate your clock to or your brain to oh this is good it just means that your body's healing it there, maybe there's a little more gas in the tank maybe you're pressing down on the accelerator and you're not used to it and you're kind of fearful that it's bringing up more you know sympathetic nervous system and you're you're attaching meaning to it and like oh shit oh, oh crap part of me i'm on a you know on another this is bad but it's not bad and I want you to make that mental note literally and physically and emotionally and metaphorically that, that when that's there, that's actually a good thing. And I yeah. really feel 
that that will make a huge impact on her health going forward, right? Because yep. now she has Re resetting the expectations there. Yeah, it's context, right? It's yep. in context now. Yep. Cool. So that, I thought that was super. I wouldn't have known that had we know you know tracked it and got her feedback of what was going on at that time. And it takes yeah. some investigation reporting, you know, to figure that yeah. out. Yep. Well, yeah, you bring up an important point there, which is just how do we interpret the data and how do we apply context to it? Um, and those are really important points. Our, our whole company, Heads Up Health, is, is built around giving people data that they can use. And there is certainly the opportunity to misinterpret data. I know I talk to a lot of practitioners that, that have to tell certain patients not to track because they just get too wound up in the numbers. Oh, gas, my ketones are only 0.2. They freak out and it becomes counterproductive. And so, like anything, there's the potential for misuse. And so, I think helping people understand how to ethically and intelligently and responsibly use data is just as important as teaching them about the technology and the, and the data in general. So um, I think that's part of our responsibility is making sure that we communicate that. So with that said, Doc, we've, we've talked a lot. I like keeping the shows focused, you know, in one general area. And you have some really, really deep domain expertise around helping people with dysregulated stress, adrenal fatigue, and all of the different variables that need to be looked at, including some of the genetic markers that you will ask people to run, the labs you will ask people to run. You, you come to this from a place of personal passion, personal experience, which means you care. And you, you approach this with really, with really deep empathy for what the person's going through. So I know you've got some resources available for those who are listening and they want more. So how do people get more if, if they want more from you? Sure, yes, thank you very much. The, uh, the YouTube, I make a lot of YouTube videos. Uh, it's called uh, Your Adrenal Fix. So it kind of makes a little play on uh, adrenal fix in terms of FIX and also mm -hmm. fix like I need a fix. So yep. your adrenal fix is the YouTube channel. Um, subscribe to that. I, I do actually a lot more YouTube lives now and create a lot of content on there that there's lots of resources on there. Um, my, uh, my, my, my main website is actually Adrenal Fatigue Society, which is just about to be launched and it's going to provide lots of tools and toolkits and lots of PDFs that you can use. Like how would I approach my doctor to, to explain what I feel it is cool. so that we can speak the same language. Yeah. What are, you know, because that's a big talking point for sure. Yep. Um, also, um, the, if anyone's in Facebook, I do um, a, a private group. It's called uh, Dr. Joel Rosen's Adrenal, uh, Mastering the Art of Adrenal Fatigue. And, uh, and then Instagram is, it's kind of, it's, I got to get it fixed, but it's Dr. Underscore Joel underscore Rosen. So it's yeah. kind of a little bit, a little bit tougher. Same with us, man. We're heads underscore up underscore health. It's a mouthful. Uh, looking yeah, back, well, how the heck yeah. did I choose that when I signed up? But apparently when you press cursor, it goes underscore. So like oh. if you put heads and then up health and that's the underscore, I, it, it, I didn't know that until I already I had it. I didn't either apparently. Cool. My adrenals started getting stressed when I explained my uh, my Instagram name. <laughs> Mine too. My my cortisol curve got worse. You know what's cool yeah. is I've got in Heads Up Health. I'll just it's anecdotally here. 
I was uh, using, this was years ago, I was using the, the biohealth test where, you know, you, you put a saliva sample in the tube and they run, and they run the analysis. And uh, I've got like three tests side by side over the course of about five years. So I can actually trend that data. You know, that's why I love what, what I'm working on is because otherwise I'd kind of be looking at three PDFs and trying to see a pattern. Uh, so I'd, I'd I'm able to see things getting better when all of those tests are uh, side by side. So I've still got some work to do there, but um, they're getting better. The entrepreneurial path is not actually the best thing for someone with adrenal fatigue because you go through a lot of emotional highs and lows, incredibly vast amounts of stress. Uh, I think now I've got a toolkit, though, that's helping me out quite a bit. But I think we covered a lot of really valuable information here for people who are dealing with high stress environments, maybe not knowing where it's coming from, maybe not getting a recognition from their doctor physical, that that something is wrong. And this is, I think we haven't talked about it at all on data driven health radio. So I think this was awesome. We probably have a lot more shows we can do because we're both loving the technology. We're both data oriented. So let's chalk this up as uh, appearance number one for Dr. Rosen, and uh, we'll build from there. So on this Friday afternoon, Doc, I'm going to get you back to your day. It's been an honor having you. I know you're a busy man, so thank you for taking time to come here and share your expertise with us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it a lot. And there is so much more to talk about, right? <laughs> Indeed. We'll have you back soon, man. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, thanks for joining. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 